Good evening, everyone. My name is Ben Modlin, and I'll be your, your MC for the evening. Uh, first off, welcome to Theology on Tap for our first night of our summer series. Tonight, we have special guests, uh, Josh and, and Rosary Camo. Um, I had the privilege of meeting Josh and Rosary ages ago in the Antioch Youth Group, um, about 2002, and uh, they were just courting at that time. Um, they got married shortly after. Um, it's great to see how, how their love for each other has grown over the years. Um, it's grown into 13 years of marriage, six children, beautiful kids, beautiful children. Um, and then three years ago, uh, Josh was, was diagnosed um, with, with a uh, stage four, I never asked you how to say this, glioblastoma. <laughs> And um, the most common and aggressive form of brain cancer. This was the same diagnosis that Brittany Maynard, who very publicly and tragically ended her own life in 2014, with the help in 2014, with the help of um, and support of his wife Rosary, Josh was able to place his life and suffering in God's hands. Josh and Rosary recently celebrated the third year anniversary diagnosis and now see the cancer as a blessing in their family. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to, to Josh and, and Rose to kind of talk about how, how their, their experience with cancer has turned into that blessing. So if, please, Josh and Rose, we come up. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> a couple things. Uh, I'm glad to see a lot of new faces because... We're actually, what we printed out here was a talk that we gave to another group of people. And I don't see many of those faces, so I'm really glad for that. Um, the other thing is, um, it is glioblastoma. And when Ben was saying that, I was like, wouldn't it be awesome if it was gyroblastoma? And I would have had a gyros, you know. Anyways, just, just favorite food. food for so, thought. You know. I don't eat those anymore. Okay, um, so we're just going to... Chronically, chronologically walk you through um, just the past couple of years. Um, so it was kind of around the end of April last year that I started. 2014. Oh, oh, yeah, 2014, right, right. Around the end of April 2014, uh, the headache started. Um, the headache started. I say headache because when this headache started, it didn't really. Um, it didn't really follow the f conventional headache where it kind of started and ended and blah, blah, blah. It was just one headache. It was one steady headache. And uh, I, it really, um, in our marriage at that point, we were, um, we were just a little off. And uh, it just felt like um, I knew that we could be better. And, uh, but this, this headache was making me really grumpy. And um, we just would get in little tiffs and whatnot. So... Uh, we started uh, going to counseling um, to work on our marriage. So, you want to do that? You just said that. Okay. Um, there you go. Yeah, so we knew something was <laughs> off. We knew that we could do better. See, they've never heard it, so it's all new to them. <laughs> cool. <laughs> all right. Um, so, fast forward into May, and, uh, you know, Rosary and I do our best to wake up early and pray. She does a, a way better job, admittedly, than I do. Um, but wake up in the morning to pray. Um, 
I work for the City of South Bend Fire Department, uh, the City of South Bend on the Fire Department. And so waking up early for me, I'm already waking up at 5.30 to get ready. I know maybe you guys, some of you guys get up earlier than that, and you guys are my heroes. Um, but it's tough for me to get up that because the one thing that the South Bend Fire Department, on a little brief divergent uh, tangent, um, I always joke about being on the fire service because I signed up to do something and what I do is not anything near what I thought I would ever do. So I always tell people, you know, just as a, a public announcement, you know, if you're, and I say this jokingly, you'll, you'll find out pretty quickly that I'm always on, slightly off. Um, you know, uh, if, you're not, if you're not drunk, if you're not naked, if you're not covered in bodily, bodily fluids, don't call 911 because we really don't have time for you, you know. <laughs> no, it's very, uh, it's very sanctifying work. Um, but anyways, it is. It is if you let it be. <laughs> um, but I was reading scripture this morning when I woke up, and, um, and all of a sudden it was like the letters kind of got swept off the page, like particularly the vowels. And what I was left with looked like uh, the Polish language. I am part Polish, so I think I can use that. Um, and I just couldn't read it. And I was talking to Rose, and I was like, what does this even say? I couldn't, I couldn't figure it. And then, you know, I kind of, it really freaked me out. And so I, I closed the Bible, and I was like, I'm not going to read that again. I'm going to pray the rosary, because that's safe. I can do that, and that, that won't, I'm, I'm pretty sure that won't, that won't freak me out. So around this time, too, um, we had gone out on a date one night, and we were, had gone to Emporium, and then we were walking along the river, and um, Josh was telling me about River Rescue School, and so when he was in River Rescue School, one of the things that they did was they shut down the gates of the East Race, so there was no water, and then everybody had to stand there all holding cans until they slowly started opening the water gates up, and he said you could like stand there for a certain period of time, and then all of a sudden you just could not handle all the water anymore, and you were being washed away, and I started crying, and as I started crying, I was realizing this is what our life feels like right now. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why it feels like this water is just washing us away, and we can't keep life together, but something is off. Um, it was right around that same time, too, that um, Josh and I both ran the sunburst together, which was really fun. It was the first time we had done it because I was always pregnant before that. Um, <laughs> oh, kids are awesome. Um, <laughs> so um, Josh runs every year, and well, he did run every year in his turnout gear with the other firefighters. So it's something that he really enjoyed doing is like PR yeah. for people. So the reason I love doing it, it's time, it's time to get real people. It's time for confession. <laughs> the reason I love doing it is, one, it is awesome interaction with the public. But when you, and we run, we don't have the inner liners in, so we just have our outer shells. So it's Which only about 30 like or 40 30 pounds of equipment. But um, totally so we're doable, running. Right? We're running, and uh, there's two reactions you get when you run, you know, when people see you passing them. Hopefully you're passing people. You know, the first one, you know, people are cheering you out like, yeah, yeah, go, go. And the second one is the one that I absolutely relish. It's when somebody looks at you and they're like, what the f does he think he's doing? You know? <laughs> and I, you know, it's, it's, it's such a struggle not to smile. It's like, hey, you know? <laughs> but it's so funny watching, watching that reaction. That's, that is what has made me run. Because I hate running. 
and I've run like four or five, you know, five Ks uh, just in the turnout gear. So, okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we did that together, which was a really amazing experience, um, and finished, and we both felt really strong and uh, did really well. So. Yeah. So we were. Um, then we fast forward to June 4th, 2014. That's a day. So that, that was the Wednesday. The sunburst was on Saturday. This was the Wednesday after that. Yeah. June 4th, 2014 um, is a day that I will never forget. I don't want to forget it. Um, that I went into work that day, and I was assigned to driving the rig. I'm not normally the driver, the pump engineer on Engine 4. I was out at Engine 4, 220 East uh, Olive. Uh, 220, wait, I'm... Just keep going. Okay, here. sorry. Way too many details. We don't gotcha. Stuff. Okay, um, she keeps me on track. She keeps me on track. That's why our marriage just lasted. Um, yeah, so I was driving. The, the regular driver was off, and uh, we got our second run of the day, and we were going to a street called Fasnacht. It's a German word. I have no idea what it means. Uh, people have tried to interpret it. I don't speak German. Especially Rose doesn't speak German. She tries. Um, so... I was trying to figure out how to get there, and um, I turned down this really narrow street. And you got to understand fire rigs down narrow streets with parking on both sides. It's like a whale going in a creek, you know, like trying to navigate a creek. And I'm, as I'm going down there, just my vision is starting to get narrower and narrower and narrower. And the captain, um, he said, you know, you're getting pretty close to these cars. And then he said it again a second time. You're getting really close to these cars. And then he says... Josh, what the fast knocked, you know? And, um, and I, I hit a parked truck um, on the side of the road. And I, so I got out, I kind of assessed, and I was like, yeah, I actually hit a truck. One thing I noticed when I got out was that there was so much space between me and the car. And I was, I was wondering how that could even happen. Um, so on South Bend Fire Department, I'm sure like other jobs, when you get into an accident with city-owned property, you have to take a drug test. So I've always been pretty health conscious, um, so I was ready to go in, you know, to like QAI and get my urine certified organic because I was like that, you know, I, I don't know. I was that arrogant. I'm like, well, they're going to, you know, I'm, I'm really scared inside, but I'm rationalizing it saying like, they're going to see the purest urine they've ever seen. They're going to want to drink it. It's weird. You see, you see, I was off, but I'm always off. Okay, so... Um, but when I got in there, the, the lady gave me a form um, with some of the most difficult questions I've ever seen, like what was my name, what was my address, what was my telephone number. And I uh, noticed as I was filling out these forms that as I was writing, like my handwriting was one, it was just kind of like a little scribble, and I was drifting down. And I immediately thought of like my EMT schooling days where it was like, you know, you have arm drift, that usually means stroke. So I'm starting to realize I think something's going on upstairs that shouldn't be and um, and I, I think I'm in big trouble. <laughs> um, so. so at this point, I, he had called me and said he crashed a fire truck, which honestly is not a big deal. Like, fire trucks are really big, so they do get crashed occasionally. So that didn't really perk my radar at all. Crash is a strong word. Kind okay. of sideswiped. I like that go. version. Better. Gently bumped. Yeah. Nudged. Sound? Influenced. There all you right. go. Sorry. Go there ahead. There we go. Sounds much better. <laughs> um, so I wasn't really too concerned until he called me and said, something's wrong, and they're going to take me to the ER. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to come and be with you. And he's like, no, no, I'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Um, and so I called his mom, and I said, 
he's going to the hospital and I'm really worried. Will you go and be with him? And she said, yeah, that's fine. Um, and so the, a couple, a little bit after that, she called me and said they found tumors on Josh's brain. And so I immediately just like went into flight mode or I don't even know what I went into. Um, I just dropped everything and I got in the car and I drove to the hospital. I try and remember that drive and I can't remember a detail of it at all. It's like my brain has just completely blocked out that part of my memory. Um, so as I got to the hospital, um, I went into the ER and he was in a priority bay, which is like when it's really bad. Um, and he was almost unresponsive at that point. Like he saw me and he was like, hey babe, really, really slow. Like the nurses would come in and ask him questions and he kept saying, I can't understand you, you're talking too fast. Um, and so that was really scary at that point in time. I, he was almost in a coma because of all the swelling in his brain. His brain was shutting down. Um, so they took, so that was Wednesday night. They took Thursday to do more thorough testing to see if they found any tumors anywhere else um, because the concern was that it was a metastatic tumor of some sort. Um, and they were telling me in this time, we hope that we find something else because metastatic would be much better than just a brain tumor. I'm like, oh, okay, that's great. And then, of course, they come in on Thursday night and they said, we didn't find anything else. So in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, this is not good. This yeah. is really not good. So one of Promoting the future tumor growth. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so at one point in time during that day, one of the tests they had done was an MRI. Um, and at through all of this, I couldn't leave his side. I just had to be right there with him through it all because I felt like that's the best thing I can do to support him is to be physically present with him. Um, so I remember wheeling him back from the MRI, walking next to his hospital bed as we're going back. And I just remember telling him, all right, if we're going to do brain surgery, we're just going to kick brain surgery's butt. And it was this decisive moment in me where I decided we're just going to fight and do whatever we have to do. Um, so that was... That was a very big step and moment for moving forward in that time. Okay. So that's uh, the fight or flight. The fight or flight response was activated in Rosary. The fight got ready. Um, so I don't remember Thursday at all. It was a blur. Like, um, and, and Friday, I, I remember kind of coming around a little bit, and they said, okay, you're going into exploratory skull surgery. And I, at first I kind of thought it was a joke, um, but then I realized they were serious, and uh, I kind of realized, well, that, I don't think that's a minor operation. I don't think that's like a, you know, you, you have brain surgery and then you walk out the same day. So I was figuring this was going to be, um, I kind of went into fight or flight and realized that this needs to be uh, surrounded in prayer. And Rosary and I both, felt that you know we need to surround we need to surrender this unknown to god and we need to we need to go in with prayer armed with prayer literally and so um i wrote i had rose since um it was tough for me i had her write some scripture on my arms mark nine twenty four, mark chapter 9 uh, verse 24 lord i believe but help my unbelief um Psalm 139, 14, um, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully, and I put in parentheses, curiously, made. Um, and Joshua 24, 15, not to get pretentious about my own scripture, but um, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
Then the last finishing touch was my neurosurgeon was coming in and out throughout the day, and he was a dry noodle. He would not laugh at all, and that was, I wasn't willing to go out of this world without, like, getting him to laugh. <laughs> you know, that was really bothering me, more than the tumor. That was really bothering me. And so I had my brother draw um, a mustache on my lip in pen, which they say he laughed right before he cut into my brain. I don't really know what, if that was smart, but <laughs> no new growth since then. So <laughs> I don't know. Consider it. Next time, you know, put a mustache on your mouth if you're going into surgery. Okay. Um, so as I was leaving Josh right before surgery then, um, I was very aware that this could be the last moment I would ever see him alive. Um, I knew that in this moment, all of our wedding vows, like the seriousness and the gravity of, I might change your diapers for the rest of your life. You might, not never talk, you might never talk to me again. Um, this could be it. And so that heaviness weighed on my heart so much. And as I walked away, um, I remember it was everything I could do just not to fall on the floor in a puddle of, like, hot mess, crying waterfalls, you know. But I just, so I just walked out and went into a waiting room, and we had... Um, there were probably like 30 or 40 of our family and friends there with me through the surgery. So we had our own little like side waiting room, which was really beautiful. Um, as we, as I had prepared for this in my mind, this was going to be the longest like four to five hours of my life. Um, and so as we started out, a friend of ours who's a priest wanted to pray the rosary, so we all prayed together. And then surprisingly, the time went really fast. And it was really peaceful, and I was amazed at how um, easy it was to just wait in that time, which was totally just the grace of prayer. So um, one of our friends from church works at the hospital, and he's a perfusionist, so he's in on these surgeries. So he had just come to scrub in on the surgery to be there, and then he would come out and give me updates and keep me posted as to what was going on. So he kept coming out and saying, it's going well. Um, and then after the surgery was done, his neurosurgeon, Dr. Lane Heinrich, came out and said um, everything went well. There were no twitches, so we had a really good surgery. Um, and then our friend Ed, who was with him during the surgery, had said, you know, we need an hour with him in the, the ICU to wake him up because this is a very critical time coming out of surgery, especially after brain surgery. Um, so after the fact, Ed shared with me that as he was waking Josh up, Josh said, Ed, is that you? And he couldn't open his eyes, but he could recognize his voice. So right there from that moment, it was very decisive that things seemed to be okay. Like he can recognize somebody's voice from church who's a good friend of ours, but maybe not somebody whose voice you'd be super familiar with. So that was such a place of hope for us um, as we started to move forward. Um, there was also a friend of ours that morning who had shared an image with us she had received in prayer that as um, it was an image of Our Lady holding Josh, like, are you guys familiar with the Pieta? The, so like Our Lady holding Jesus right after he comes off the cross. And she was holding Josh in that same image. And she was taking the thorns out of his head, the crown of thorns. Um, and so that was a place of great consolation for me through this period. Um, and recently, we were actually contacted by one of the nurses who was in the surgery, and she shared with us that she really felt God present throughout the surgery, which was just a beautiful little gift that 
we never needed to be given, but it was a great consolation for us. Okay, um, so yeah, I was in the ICU after that. My memory's a little hazy, um, but I was in the ICU after that, and I remember uh, one particular moment in the ICU. Um, the nurses, like I, whenever a nurse would come, I would really try and engage them because it was lonely, um, and they just they told me, you know. Um, most of the time when people are in the ICU, they're not conscious, you know, and so I don't know if I was the only one um, conscious in the ICU that day or, you know, but it, it certainly felt like it. Um, so I would, I would try and engage the nurses and try and be as polite as I could so they, you know, when they had to start pick lines and stuff like that, they'd be gentle. Um, but I remember this, this lady coming in and she was, she was, getting ready to start a pick line and this is a procedure I had, I had seen done it does not look comfortable and after going through it it is I can confirm it's not comfortable um, so she took an ultrasound of kind of my venous channels here um, and which then she, means your veins yeah you right use, veins. Like, people sorry. don't know medical sorry <laughs> and so she's doing an ultrasound she's checking out these she's, she, she finds three channels and then uh, she there's there's a little uh, scalpel uh, uh, and then there's uh, like a tube, like a rubber tubing. And so what she's doing is she's trying to locate that vein and then, you know, cut open the arm so that she can shove a tube in there, kind of like catheterize, uh, if you could imagine that. And she shot me that first time she tried. There was like fire that shot in my arm. Even though she numbed it with lidocaine a little bit, there was like fire that shot through my arm. And all I could think of at that moment um, was just Jesus on the cross, you know, uh, getting, and it, I'm sure my pain was nothing compared to getting a nail driven in your hand or wrist. Um, but that's, that's all I could think of. And then, you know, she blew that channel and then she came out and, and got the second one, um, tried the second one and she's digging that needle everywhere and there's just like pain just shooting it off even though she gave me lidocaine which I shouldn't be feeling but I was feeling it and I'm just like this really hurts you know <laughs> and um and I'm I'm just trying to make my prayer at that point lord you know you know you I know you've been through worse than this you know just just help me get through this moment and she blew that one. She pulled out. She goes for the third one. I'm like, all right, Lord, you need to help her hit this because I'm not going to be a pin cushion that much longer, you know. And, and she got it. Um, she got it third time's a charm. Um, and incidentally, after the surgery, that, like my arm, like my whole upper arm was just a big bruise. <laughs> that was my, my, my 33 staples in my head and my little, you know, USB port up here. That was fine. You know, it was my arm that was like all bruised. You know, and it, it looked uh, looked pretty nasty. So that was during the night when he was in the IC, ICU. They had told us. One more thing. Okay. Um, so, no, uh, it's okay. We're, we're pretty direct in our marriage. Um, so um, the one thing that I remember the most about the ICU was the sound of IV lines getting clogged. Because <laughs> it would go beep, beep, beep. And it seemed like every 10 seconds, somebody's IV line clogged. So all I heard all night was beep, 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 
beep, beep, beep, beep, beep, beep. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna destroy these IV machines, like, you know. <laughs> um, but a curious thing happened. Um, as I was laying there and I was just trying to make the most of it and, and just praying the rosary in my head, um, I, f- I think, I'm not 100% certain, um, but I think the Lord was telling me, you know, what if those three beeps were, was, was me telling you that I love you, you know? And so in that moment, when I, when I just chewed on that for a little bit, I realized, like, I can take something that's annoying, that's really, really um, getting the better of me and make it a prayer. And so that was a pretty powerful moment getting through the uh, ICU because I, I just kept hearing that and it was just like the Lord just showering love, you know, pouring it directly into my, into my heart, you know, that good measure just poured into my lap, um, overflowing. So. so that was during the period when she was in the ICU, they wouldn't let me stay there overnight. And I was kind of freaking out, like, I'm not going to leave. I'm not going anywhere. And they were like, you can't stay here. Um, so finally, they... I thought you said, like, I'm like a cancer. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> You're fine. Bad joke. Yeah. Um, so finally, I decided to leave. And I think, looking back on it now, they took one look at my face, and they just realized, like, she needs to go sleep. Because at this point, I... You know, all this trauma had happened, and it had been like two nights in the hospital, and you don't sleep in the hospital. I don't know if anybody knows that, but that doesn't happen because people are like emptying your trash at two in the morning and cleaning your room at three and taking blood at four, and it's awesome. So um, that morning, they said I could come back at, I don't know, I think it was like eight or something. So I got up, and I was getting ready, and I was driving to the hospital, and I got a phone call, and it was Josh, and he was like, good morning, beautiful. Are you almost here? And I was just like, what? Oh my gosh, like you sound normal and what is going on right now? And in the background, beep, beep, beep. (laughs) (laughs) So as I got there and saw him just sitting up in his bed and totally normal and talking to me like everything was fine, it was again one of those moments of hope of like, this is crazy. You just had brain surgery like 16 hours ago and here you are talking to me like everything is fine. Um, And so that was the beginning of the moving forward process. They had told him that he would be in the ICU for at least 24 hours. Um, As I got there that morning, he said, what do I have to do to get out of here? And they said, you have to sit up in a chair for an hour. So he's like, get me in the chair now so I can sit up for an hour and get out of here. And that was the moving forward. Everything was like that. Um, People were just continually coming and visiting us as as he was in the ICU and then as he was back in his hospital room again. Um, firefighters were there and all of our friends from church and he just kept preaching and preaching and couldn't stop and people were so beautiful to come and love on us and support us through it all Um, so it was a beautiful period of just being loved on and supported so after his surgery they had told me that it would be 72 hours before we would get the pathology report back so at this point they were saying it's probably a glioma which is um, a tumor that can be controlled, like not a big deal. Um, and so as the 72-hour period mark started to approach, um, his oncologist came in then on Monday at um, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And I remember looking at the clock and knowing it's 3 o'clock and this is the hour of mercy. And he said, okay, I have the results. And, I mean, he came in every day, so this wasn't just like, only here with the results, like scary. 
We're like, okay, this is going to be okay. You know, we're going to do this. It's going to be a little bit crazy, but we'll be okay. Um, and so he said to Josh, okay, I have the results. What do you want? And Josh was like, give me everything. And he said, you have stage four brain cancer. It's called glioblastoma. Um, you have 14 months to live and a 10% chance to survive. And Josh... Um, And Josh was just filled with the Holy Spirit in this moment, and he said, thank you, Dr. Park. You are a more wise and learned man than I will ever be, but you're not God, and that's who we're clinging to. Um, And so it was within two hours, our room was just filled with, there were like six or seven of our priest friends there and all of our family. I mean, the room was just jam-packed full of people that were there to love on us and support us. Um, There are no words to tell you what that felt like to hear that news about my husband when we had five little kids at home between the age of 8 to 15 months. Um, But it was really scary, you know. Um, But that next morning then, a Tuesday morning, as we got up, he was going to be discharged that morning. Um, And I remember his neurosurgeon calling right away in the morning and telling me that we needed to throw out the numbers and not to worry Um, and so we did that when we took the approach of, all right, if 10% of people are going to live, like, why wouldn't Josh be 10%? You know, one out of 10 people lives. Why not? He's doing great. Like we don't have to do any therapy. There's no side effects. You don't, didn't lose any speech or vision or anything. So why not? We're just going to keep focusing on that as long as we can. Um, and so as we drove home, when we got home that day, the street, our street we live on was filled with cars both ways, all the way down the street. And there were firefighters at our house finishing a, a project on our basement. There were women from church cleaning our house. There were like literally 30 kids running around our yard, which just made us so happy. And it was just the overwhelming love and peace um, that people were just showering upon us. Uh, it says chemo and radiation to now. Uh, so I had a lifetime of... Radiation, which is why, interestingly enough, if you look at my hair, I usually don't let it grow out this long. Uh, I'll shave it. I'll shave it tonight. I'll shave my face, and I'll shave my head. But um, if I were to have you come up, you'd feel my original hair. This was gone before cancer left. (laughs) Came. (laughs) Um, This is my original hair in all its glory. And this is radiated hair. This is like mousy teenager. This is like the mustache that I tried to grow out when I was like a teenager. Um, So unless like mullets come back into style, I'm going to continue to shave my head. That's that's about the safest bet for me. Um, And then chemo. Chemo, I don't know what you've heard about chemotherapy. Uh, Let me tell you that it's not fun. Um, it's uh, It really takes you to the limit. You know, uh, if I had a song right now, take it to the limit, I'd cue it. But, um, yeah, it was, it was rough, and I was grumpy, and I, I felt like I wanted to die taking it. Like, it, it destroyed my appetite. It made food tasteless. Um, I remember one time, Rose, we were working with a nutritionist, and she would give me these meals. It didn't matter what. She, she could have said eat gyros all day long. When I was taking chemo, I just couldn't taste anything, and, it, and I didn't want to eat. Um, it was like I was swallowing a hand grenade. I remember this one, uh, those of you that remember SNL back in the day, and Dan Aykroyd in the Bassomatic, like uh, 
Rose had made salmon and avocados, which I found was kind of odd because avocados was what they said the size of my two tumors were. And so this nutritionist, I don't know if it was a mind game, which she was winning. Uh, <laughs> she'd always, like, prescribe avocados on my meal plan. I'm like, I can't eat these. Like, ugh, you know. And what's worse yet is I think Rose kind of got in on that game, and she'd, like, let them age. And so they were beyond green to, like, a little gray, like gray matter, you know. And I'm just like, ugh, ugh. Like, every time I got it, you know. <laughs> and so this particular meal, we had the organic wild rice, which was a staple, which I still hate. Um, the avocados and the salmon. And, uh, and I just threw it all in a blender, you know, with some lettuce. And I'm like, I, I, I can't eat this, you know. But Rose was like, no, you got to eat, you got to eat. She was so good about that. And I, and I blended it up, and it came out like a toothpaste. It was so thick, you know. I was like, I can't drink that. So I just added a bunch of water, you know. <laughs> and then I just plugged my nose. <laughs> and uh, I'm here to tell you that a salmon smoothie, uh, I don't know if they offer them a Smoothie King, um, but... <laughs> It's pretty disgusting, and uh, yeah, so that's that's my story of chemo and radiation and salmon smoothies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fun times. So um, Josh was on, he did chemo I, and radiation. I did a year of chemo, yeah. yeah. So I, I don't mean to be pretentious, but, you know, we go, now the fire department is really interested in, like, you know, um, avoiding cancer and stuff like that, and I've always had a little issue with pride but when somebody like comes up you know and i i know i'm gonna offend somebody right now but when they come up and they say yeah i had i had i had cancer you know i didn't have to do radiation or chemo though and i'm like well you didn't have cancer you had cancer light you know (laughs) difference between bud light and bud you know (laughs) but yeah i'm I'm a proud man so the lord had to humble me with avocados so (laughs) (laughs) so um the mystery to all of this and the un the thing that the world can't understand is that in these moments when life was the hardest and in these moments where we didn't know if there was going to be a tomorrow and in these moments where the cross felt so heavy that I didn't even know how to move into the next day, um, that's when the consolation was the greatest. Um, Jesus is so close to us when we suffer. I remember we would go to Mass every day through the summer. He would do um, radiation every morning. So we'd go to Mass and then radiation. It was like our summer routine. It was like the best summer routine we've ever had. Um, And I remember after receiving communion on those days, walking back, and I was lost, like in this intimacy with Christ, that he just came into my heart and took everything else away. And it was like this safe little space for that couple minutes. And hopefully there were no children there interrupting it because otherwise it was lost and gone until the next day. Um, but it, it almost makes those moments of suffering and hardship, I, almost, I miss them because I miss that intimacy with Christ. Um, there is a quote I think about a lot, and I, I don't even know who said it. I think it's Mother Teresa. Um, she said... Let Jesus hold you so close that you can feel his crown of thorns piercing you. And when you think about that, I don't know what your reaction to that is, but for me, it's my reaction is, how how could I not want the thorns to pierce me when I have that intimate embrace from Jesus holding me? Um, So there was a scripture we prayed with a lot through that time. Um, It's, It's Sirach 2, so just like 
put a little note in your brain for whenever the Holy Spirit brings that back up for you to, to pray with. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the first part is, My child, when you come to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for trials. And I just think, what a beautiful invitation that he's inviting us into that. Okay. So we celebrated three years, um, July 4th. You celebrate the day you're... June 4th. June 4th. Are these letters drifting? No, I'm kidding. Um, No, no. he just had an MRI like two weeks ago. It's good. (laughs) So uh, we celebrated three years, and um, I I must have misheard it, but when they were talking about chemotherapy and stuff like that, they they talked about um, how that could um, cause infertility and stuff like that. And um, we now have another uh, little sheep in our fold, Ezekiel Paul Camo. And uh, I'm so happy that we have, well, one, our second son. We have four girls, and now we have our second son. Um, but I, when, when Zeke came along, all I could think about was, and I know, um, does everybody know who Brittany Maynard is? Brittany Maynard, okay. I'm actually um, glad um, that you don't know Brittany Maynard, but you will know after I tell you who she is, who she is. Um, Brittany Maynard was diagnosed the same, uh, with the same diagnosis um, very close around the time that I was diagnosed, and she moved out to Oregon so that she could die with dignity, um, whatever that, that, that looks like. She could die with dignity. Basically, she would take pills, and she would kill herself because she didn't want to put up with uh, the treatment, and she didn't want to deal with the, the suffering, you know? I'm not saying I'm better than Brittany Maynard, and I don't want to disrespect her memory. I, I, I you know... I think, above all, we should pray for her. But um, Brittany Maynard saw no hope, and she took her life, you know. Um, and I, I just think, like, doctors are wrong all the time, you know. Uh, they were wrong about me only having 14 months. They were wrong about me never having kids again. You know, God, God worked through this to prove so many things that that um, God's got plans for all of us, you know, and that we should not do, we should not do things specifically to thwart those plans, you know, and I, and I often think of Brittany in that situation, like in her, in her, maybe she still would have died, maybe she wouldn't have, I don't know, she didn't do treatment, but what could God have potentially used her for, you know, because um, he's got a plan for all of us, you know, Rosary had, had shared with me one time that Mother Teresa of Calcutta said, Lord, in her prayer, why don't we have a cure for cancer? You know, and, and the Lord had, had spoken into her heart. Um, well, we did have a cure for cancer, but sadly that, that baby was aborted. You know, and I, and I think of that, that, that resonates on the same frequency where it's like all these, all these people, all these babies that, you know, have been aborted now, how did they fit into God's plan? You know, how do you fit into God's plan? You know, and to, I think it's so, when I think of suffering, you know, we live in a culture now where it's like, you know, I don't want anything to do with suffering, you know, and it's driving this euthanasia thing, um, this agenda now, um, but I don't want anything to do with suffering. And, and I, I, I can't agree with that. I can't agree with that. It, it, it just, it's like nails on a chalkboard. When you talk about suffering and you, and you say, I don't want any part to do with suffering, 
you know. I got to believe in a way that you're rejecting Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus Christ suffered for us. He suffered for every single one of us. You know, uh, there is something very mysterious about the way Jesus' love language, God's love language, was suffering. You know, if he was willing to let his own son suffer that death and then raise him up to glory, you know, for all of our sake, there's got to be something to that. So when you say, when, I don't want to say you, when we say, um, I don't want anything to do with suffering, how, how are we putting ourselves above what Jesus went through? You know, how, how is that even remotely fair? You know, no servant is greater than the master. Um, so um, I can honestly tell you that this diagnosis was the greatest gift that we have been given. Um, it was an invitation to draw not, more, not only more, more deeply in our relationship with Jesus, but in our relationship with one another. Um, when you're told that your spouse is going to die, it makes every moment that you have together the most important moment of your life because you don't know how many more moments of the, that's going to be there, uh, how many more moments there are going to be. Um, and so it created this intense depth to our relationship that was so beautiful. And so to be able to care for him through 14 months of chemo and through all this, the years of since then has been a beautiful time that we have been able to love one another and where I've been able to take care of him um, in a way that I never knew I could or what that would look like or how you be a caregiver in your 30s with kids. Um, but it also opened our eyes up to all the goodness in our life. So it really, cancer has changed our life so much because it has changed our perspective on everything. So before cancer, we would have said something like, oh my gosh, I haven't slept in like 10 years and the kids are sucking the life out of me. (laughs) And it was hard. It's hard having kids. Life is hard. No matter what you're doing in life, it's hard. It's supposed to be hard. Um, But cancer really helped us to find a new perspective on life where now every day, if you ask either one of us how we're doing, we're always going to tell you great. Like, even if he only slept for two hours because he was running on calls all night last night, and if I was up with, like, three kids four different times and didn't sleep either, or whatever the situation. Apparently, it's all about, like, no sleep at our house, I guess. That's what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> but no matter what the hardship, it's changed our perspective on life so that we always see the goodness and the blessing in our life. Um, Um, so when Rosary and I met in Antioch, um, an amazing youth group, we're going to wrap it up very fast. Um, people, I mean, I'm sure marriage is different for every married couple, you know, um, and marriage is challenging in a lot of ways. Um, it, it, um. Every walk of life is challenging, but the point I'm getting at is, you know, the Catholic Church has certain prescriptions, you know. Don't live together before you're married. Don't have sex before you're married. When you're married, don't use contraception, you know. Practice natural family planning, you know. And on the outset, all these things seem very impossible. And, and our natural inclination is to be like, how can some old farts in Rome tell us what we can do in our marriage. That just seems like out of bounds, you know? Um, 
But the reality is, if Rosary and I hadn't had the grace, I mean, God gave us the grace to put those into practice, you know, waiting for each other and not living together and all that. Like when that cancer storm came, our, rock, our, our marriage would have crumbled. You know, it was, only, it was only Christ on that solid foundation that kept us together. You know, in talking to counseling and the aftermath, the counselors said, you know, most people don't, most marriages don't survive this. You know, and so there's a lot of wisdom in that, in, in, in hearing that when you, when you actually learn what the church is teaching. Yeah, it's a lot of, you know, don't do this, don't do this. But the thing that people forget, the thing that we forget is that that's for our own good. You know, it's healthy to live in a state of delayed gratification. Um, okay. I think, you know, we were asked to talk about euthanasia and abortion, and I think this is just my thoughts. I think at the center of all that is a nasty little thing called control. We want to control our lives. We want to grab at every situation that we think we have, and, and we want to say, this is how I'm going to handle this. You know, I, I'm not ready to have kids right yet. Or this is not how I'm going to die. You know, um, I've got I've to control this situation. You know, and um, the reality is when we surrender our lives to God, he, one, it gives us interior peace, which we need so much. You know, but we also kind of outsource it um, to somebody that can handle all that. You know, one of my favorite uh, scripture verses is Matthew uh, chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon your shoulder and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we walk around with that scripture in our mind, outsourcing all of our anxieties, our cares, our, our future life goals to God, and we, we hand that control over, then we're giving all that stuff that we're trying to like carry with the yoke. And the yoke becomes easy because then all we have to do is carry the relationship of Jesus Christ. You know, um, all we have to do is keep that close to us. And that's, that's what we want. You know, that's what makes life, like, life worth living. You know, that's what inspires the passion in our hearts, you know, to keep, to keep going. Um, so that's what we have. I think we're done. Um, well, okay. All right. Um, I'm going to play a song. I'm a, um, I'm a hack songwriter. Um, so Rose referenced uh, Sirach 2, and I, when we got that scripture verse to pray over, I wanted to write a song. Now, I'm also excited, too, because there was a reporter that came out and wanted to talk to our family, and she said, watch as he plays his guitar. You know, and the first, sort of the, the first line of the song is, why do we have to die? And that's the only line she gave. That's kind of incomplete. You know, it's kind of actually sadistic to think about that, like, Without full context, so I'm glad I get the full. Uh, I, I'm glad I get the chance to give you the full contextual experience. Why do we have to die? A simple question. 
Lord, you reign on high. Yet we are left to suffer. How long till you hear our cry? When will you make a move? What have we done to deserve this? We have forgotten you. But the truth is that we have never been forgotten, and we have always been loved. And even if we don't understand, it doesn't change your plan or the love that you lavish on us. You who fear the Lord, wait for His mercy. Study the ages past. Know that He has never let anyone go. That home, 'cause we have never been forgotten, and we have always been. And even if we don't understand this, it doesn't change your plan or the love that you lavish on When you come to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for trials. Why? Just look at the life of the Master and the glory He now holds. We will see each other in paradise in the glory of the Son. For more than Majesty is the. It's the mercy that He shows if we just accept His word. For in fire is gold tested, one way to find your worth. Trust in God to help you. Dare to hope in Him. He will not. Never been forgotten, and we have always been loved. And even if we don't understand this, it doesn't change your plan or the love that you lavish on us, or the song that you gave up for us. Thank you. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna open the floor up for some some questions and answers.
So, hey, Ben. Yeah. Can I just recognize really quick two individuals that are here? Yeah, you can absolutely. Uh, this is this is the kind of the amazing way that God works. So these two individuals that we just happened to uh, sit by the table, these are my uh, neurosurgeon. That that's their dad. You know, these are the daughters of the neurosurgeon that operated on me. Um, and so if Walt does get down here, I'm going to have you guys like cheer really loud. But you can cheer for them. That they, they, they just cheer for God. Cheer for God in the way that the the amazing way that He works. All right, sorry, sorry. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> no questions. Cool. All right, oh yes, yes. <laughs> Being a father of three, uh, how do you have that conversation with your kids? Yeah, I'm on this one. You don't. <laughs> I mean, you tell them in very mild terms. Daddy is sick. He, the doctors had to do surgery. They knew he had a headache before. They knew he'd been grumpy. They knew he'd been irritable. Um, they took this, the tumor out to make it all better. So we called it an avocado. Um, he had fruit on his mind. Yeah, exactly. We love fruit. Woohoo. Um, <laughs> and then from there, we tried to keep them very protected and guarded from the full reality of it all. Um, so, I mean, they knew we were going to the doctor every day, but they didn't necessarily know it was because he was supposed to die. Um, I actually just had a conversation with our oldest daughter just like a month or two ago. She's 11 now. And she had said, mom, I didn't really care when dad got sick because I didn't know how bad it was. And I said, Ellie, I am so glad you told me that because that was the goal. We didn't want you to know that he was supposed to die. Like that's not something kids have to live with. So, or should have to live with. So we just protected them as long as we could until we couldn't, until we had to tell them the truth. So, you know. Um, the one, the, what I would talk to my kids a lot about, um, I would talk about, well, God knows what's best in our life. You know, um, God sees everything and he knows everything. And I would just encourage them at that time you know, and I still do to just put their trust in God, you know, like, and that God, God will, God has everything under control. And as long as we put our faith in him, we won't be disappointed. And it was more of that emphasis, not like not acknowledging the, what was going on with us. It was acknowledging the absolute fact that when you deposit everything into God, he's not going to disappoint. He's got a plan for this and he's, he's going to work through this, you know? And so it wasn't, I don't know if that answers your question, but it was kind of emphasizing one, one uh, perspective over the other. So, come on, people, don't be shy. Yeah, Phil, again, round All right. two. All right, long time listener. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I know this. How how do you uh, live your day every day now, knowing that it could potentially come back with with each other with faith with kids now that they're getting older well that's interesting phil is it okay cool are you a doctor no okay bummer oh okay okay good enough um no uh well phil i was just talking to um cara and nina car caro caro okay caroline caroline and nina um and I think Nick asked me that question. And, um, you know, the reality of our situation is not unique to anybody in this crowd um, because none of us knows how much time we have left. Um, the important um, aspect 
of going through this is to, I think it helps when you, when you offer your sufferings to God, that way you're not carrying them around and you're not living in this state of just burden state, but also um, that you're just trying to live life to the fullest, you know, and that's, that's the best that anybody can hope for, you know, and, and, and you get right with, with your faith, you get right with your Catholic faith, um, and at that point, I mean, it doesn't matter when the Lord comes. I mean, because that's, that's the goal. That's the goal. This is, this is just kind of the playing field, you know. So if we ready our souls, if we're in a, st- a state of readiness when that day comes, which could come at any time for any of us, um, that we're living our lives fully in anticipation of that. Does that help? <laughs> um, one practical thing for me is that I can't allow the fear to take control. So if something creeps up, like if he's like, I have a headache, I have to stop that right there and say, you don't have control over me, and I'm choosing not to let this fear take control of my life. Um, We also just are very intentional about how we live our life, what we do with our time, how we... What are the priority of the things we want to do? What vacations do we want to take? For me, one of the things was... Well, you might not be around when we retire, so we're traveling now. <laughs> we're taking trips without our kids. Who cares that we have six little kids? We're going to figure it out. We're leaving. You know, like just whatever those things are for you in your life, don't put it off on the back burner for 20 or 30 or 40 years because you don't know. And so I feel like that's one of the biggest things um, other than what he said. <laughs> it's just to live your life intentionally and fully and enjoy every day, like, We've been swimming every day for like the last five days. And yeah, the kids probably are sunburned and should be getting more sleep than they are. But it's summer and we need to live life to the fullest, you know. So. The beginning is a melanoma. Yeah, we're just getting skin cancer, so it's awesome. <laughs> hey, maybe we'll die before him. Woohoo. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You have one, Brian? Cancer jokes. They never get old. Hi. So for those in the medical profession or those dealing uh, who have to interact with people that are suffering through cases like yours, what are the best ways to comfort people? Because I know that it's different towards other, like depending on who you are, but just what are the words that are most comforting when you're going through those tough times? Um. I'll tell you one of the things that wore me out a lot. Who, who asked that question? Oh, gotcha. Um, one of the things that, that wore me out a lot was people asking me, let me attempt to dramatize this, how are you doing? <laughs> like it was like, you know, <laughs> I, was like, I feel fine. What, do I look jaundiced or belly rubin? I don't know. Um, no, uh, and a friend, you know, I told that to a friend. I think uh, love acted out is a very dangerous thing at times. But one of the things I think you can do is just treat them like you normally would. And, and one of the things that I really appreciate hearing is like, hey, it's great to see you, sincerely. Instead of saying, how are you doing? Or even just, how are you doing? And you get the proverbial, good. Yeah, okay, yeah, you're good too? Oh, we're both good. That's great. And um, so how are things at work? Fine. Okay, how are they for you? Fine. Okay, now we're both fine. Okay, we've got work. We've got, okay, this is great. This conversation is really swimming. You know, like just 
having an authentic conversation and just saying it's great to see you, you know, and um, you know, and it, it doesn't hurt to pray before you have a conversation with somebody. Like, Lord, guide guide my conversation, you know, um, and. I'm, I know everybody falls on different spectrums on what they're comfortable with, you know. Um, I'm not at all uncomfortable answering any questions or anything like that when people ask, you know. Um, but saying something like, hey, how's, how's treatment going? Like, I don't know, that, that might rub people the wrong way. Or you, you, you be prepared to, if they actually tell you the truth, it's like, it sucks. You know, I'm constipated, I'm bloated, and I'm gaining a bunch of weight. You know, but I think just sincerity and, 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 and being genuine with people, you know, it comes across a lot better. Um, I would advise when you're going to somebody, a loved one or maybe a friend, um, make sure that you've kind of resolved these internal conflicts before you approach them. Because what Rose described when she would like pack up all this stuff and get on her back, it's like, all right, it's time to go. Got my rucksack on, you know. Like what she was doing was, oh, oh, okay. So she described that to the table. Um, so what I experienced throughout this and what Rose experienced was people were just feeding off of our, of our, of our, of our, of our releasing this to God, giving this to God. So they were, they were feeding off of that and they would jump on our backs and be like, okay, you got to stay positive. If I'm going to stay positive, you got to stay positive. That puts a lot of pressure. That put a lot of pressure on me and her. You know, uh, it happened a lot with our parents, you know. Um, so I would advise anybody that has a loved one where this is happening, like, just come to peace with that yourself. It can go one of two ways, you know. Pray about it, you know. Chew on it a little bit. Don't come to them expecting their positivity to lift you up. I wouldn't go to Rosary if she had cancer and be like, hey, are you doing good? I mean, I really need to know because you're, cause that just puts her in a crappy state. You know, um, and that happened a lot. Um, so I would say get your own ducks in a row before you talk to somebody else. Does that help at all? Um, because you don't, when you're around somebody that's facing a situation, and we all have these situations. I'm not trying to say cancer is unique. We all, have, we're all, we all suffer. We're all, we all suffer in some capacity. That's what love entails, right? There's an element of suffering. Um, but make sure that you, you're at peace with that before you approach somebody, you know, um, and try to do it gracefully, you know, if that helps. When I hear a story, I'm really moved by how in the face of suffering, you really acted with, with trust. Um, you didn't kind of react with fear. Um, but then it kind of makes me think of, and I'm, it's, it's a miracle what happened, and it's, it's a, like a great testament to what God can do. Um, but it makes me think of, you know, just like things when like these miracles don't happen or, um, yeah, the sufferings that people go through, you know, like people we know who've like died, um, in really kind of like tragic ways or have suffered in kind of, in really hard to understand, hard to kind of grapple with. Um, your song is, your song was really moving to me because I think in those moments of suffering, you, at least I can tend to think, you know, we've been forgotten or, you know, we're not loved or something like that. But how do you respond to kind of people who, yeah, who haven't had, who, who have kind of suffered in that really kind of deep way? They've lost someone um, in a really similar situation. Like what, how do you, looking at your own story, how do you respond to, to that in other people? Yes, no. Which one's first? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, why does God allow suffering? Is that kind of... Yeah, the, yeah, there you go. Okay. That's right, thanks. <laughs> That's, uh, it's a mystery, and, I, and I, don't, I don't fully understand it. I don't know if uh, there's people that understand it better. I don't know that it can be fully understood in this life. Um, you know, there was a gentleman that, as I was diagnosed um, several years, um, or not s- several years, several months after uh, I was diagnosed, there was a gentleman that Rosary connected uh, with his wife on a Facebook thread, Theotokos or whatever. Has anybody ever heard of that, Theotokos? Okay. It's Catholic moms. And, um, and this, this woman that was on there, she's like, you know, my husband just got diagnosed with testicular cancer you know, metastasized to his lungs and his brain. And uh, it was kind of like the Lance Armstrong thing, you know. And testicular cancer is, if you have, if, if you have a metastatic brain tumor, it's easier to treat that than if you have a primary brain tumor. You know, te- for some reason, testicular cancer responds very well to treatment, much more. So if, 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 if it metastasizes somewhere, so long story short, when I had heard about that, he, he simply said, I'm going to offer my sufferings for you. And, um, and I, so when I heard out about that from Rose, I was like, well, I'll offer my sufferings for him. And we'll see who can outsuffer each other. Yeah. I'm competitive. <laughs> Sunburst. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, I fully expected him to live, you know, and he didn't. He, uh, he passed and he left behind uh, a wife with, that was pregnant with their fourth, you know, and I, I feel guilt that I'm here and that he's not. Um, I don't know why, uh, the Lord decided to take him, um, and why I'm still here. You know, it it all comes down to, for me, um, there's something as I kind of alluded to in the talk, there's something that resonates in all the ways that God, when you read scripture and all the ways that God has tried to redirect his people back to his heart. You know, um, there is something that has been found redemptive about suffering, you know, uh, through all the things, the floods, you know, which is funny. Cause I always said like the rainbow on my side, on the side of my head, it's like, cool. I'm good for floods. I can't be, you know, die from flood cancer still game, but you know, um, but you know, God, it, in all, his, in, a, in all his wisdom has found something redemptive about suffering, as evidenced by the fact that the greatest expression of love is Jesus crucified on a cross. Um, I don't fully understand it, but I do know that when I look at the cross, I'm supposed to see the greatest expression of love. Um, and so I think um, as we go through life and we suffer, and we see this person, you know, uh, pass or that, um, to not recognize, the, to, to run from that suffering is to deny Jesus in a sense. I, I don't know if that's, that's 100% true, but it resonates in my mind. Like, we can't run from suffering. We're not greater than Jesus. We're going to suffer in this life some way, you know. This life is a, proving, is a testing ground for the next ground, uh, for, the next, for the next eternity, um, but in that, you know, uh, there was another point. Hold on, my train got derailed. Um, stand by. Somebody hum some music. Okay, go ahead. Um, my thoughts and reflections on suffering 
and why do we suffer, or why does everybody suffering look different, is because Jesus wants us to be closer to him. And if we don't suffer and everything in life is great and we're going along and we don't have any problems, we don't need Jesus. We don't need help. We're great, right? But when we're not okay and when you're not going to make it through today or tomorrow or when life is really hard, that's when we cling to Jesus the most. So no matter what the outcome in these situations are, like honestly, like Josh mentioned, we really ask a lot and struggle with this. Like, why us? Why did we get this outcome? Why are we doing so well? We don't know, and we won't until we die. But that being said, all of this has been an invitation into Jesus' heart. And I think that that's the invitation that Jesus offers each one of us when we go through hardships. I remember the little the little thread. Um, so when I when as I've as I've brought his name was Paul Coakley, um, as I've asked for his intercession throughout um, since his death, um, and just kind of meditating on what uh, we talked to Anne a lot, um, his wife, and uh, you know he has passed, and hopefully he's in he's he's where we were created where we are where we hopefully end up after life you know in heaven and uh when the more i think about that the more getting older you know if, if i you know survive longer and longer and longer getting older and watching my body you know kind of i'm not able to run anymore i'm not able to walk i have to drink switch out my salmon smoothies for prune smoothies uh stuff like that like our bodies are going to break down you know and so we'll have chances to suffer plenty you know um, but when people are delivered from this world in a state of grace and they get to have that time, they, 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 and they, if they have lived their life um, by Catholic prescriptions or even just, you know, Catholic is, is the fullest expression of the truth. But if you live that, that's where we're going. Heaven is the goal. Um, and so it's almost awesome when somebody gets to attain that sooner. I mean, it, it sucks for us because we don't understand it that well. It's like, well, why did that person have to die? Now I, I have to deal with this grief and, and, it, and it stinks and I'm, and I'm hurting. And that's part of the process. But thinking from the, other, from the perspective of Paul, if he is in heaven, man, that, that's awesome. You know, and, and that's what we should be directing all our life around, getting to heaven. You know, so... Yeah, why do some people suffer and one, some people don't? When, when people pass now, I, I think, man, it was a privilege to know that person. And I, and I hope to see them again. You know, so I got to do my part and hopefully they did their part. You know, I don't know if that answers your question, but, you know, the, this, is, this is the ground of suffering here. You know, I've come to realize that surviving, you know, as my body's falling apart, just getting older, and I'm not even that old, um, it's like, oh, man, you know, like... <laughs> Paul's got it better in heaven because he doesn't have like sore ankles or a sore back or, you know, whatever. He's not, you know, toting around a 25 pound kettlebell baby, you know, so I don't know. (laughs) Thank you, Josh and Rosary, very much. Thank you.